of sound to you. Hey, Bible, it's right in the middle of your Bible, pretty much, isn't it? And right in the middle of the Bible is a songbook. It's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? That in the middle of our Bible we have the histories, um, we have the laws, we have the prophecies, the gospels, and then we have the book of songs, poems. The Psalms is actually one of the most quoted books of the Old Testament in the New Testament. One of the big five. Deuteronomy, actually, we looked at this morning. That's another one of the really most commonly quoted in the New Testament Psalms, Deuteronomy. The others are Isaiah, Genesis, and Exodus. So it's a, it's a big one um, for the early church as they were explaining what had happened in the coming of Jesus in the Gospel. The Psalms were really important, and we'll see a lot about that tonight. As poetry, unsurprisingly, it means that the, the way we read this, we, it communicates with us imaginatively uh, and emotionally. Uh, it has a whole range of emotions, positive and negative emotions, actually. There's joy and there's um, lament, desire, awe, peace, outrage, longing, fury, frustration, despair, confusion. There's a whole range of emotional expressions and experiences and a whole range of images and poetic flourishes and flushes of emotion. It's a very different kind of part of the Bible to read. You don't really read the Psalms. You shouldn't really read the Psalms coldly, analytically, intellectually, alone. You have to surf the Psalms. Duck dive under them. Be ducked on by them. Put into a tumble and lift it up and knock off your feet and carry it into shore. You have to journey with the Psalms. What's interesting when you think about the Psalms as part of the Bible, so scripture, God speaking, it's funny that there is a first person, second person, I, 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 you, you, you. It's people speaking about their own experience and talking to God. Sometimes they're talking to the congregation or the nation, but it's, it's I, the person talking, and I, the person talking to God. But now think about that as scripture. When God comes to talk to us, he, here in Psalms, incarnates himself into the speech of the prayer, praying to him. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That God is so interested in a personal relationship with us, an intimate relationship with us, that he models and speaks through the speaking of others to him. Beautiful thing. It's a very intimate, precious form of revelation. The Psalms aren't just solitary songs. Of course they're not. They're about scriptures. They're, they're, they're songbooks of God. So even the most personal psalm, we now own them together and they become like any of your favourite poems, precious to you. You share them. More than that, though, many of the psalms are in some way communal. Uh, some have call and response. So you can even see a sense of Praise the Lord that he is good, his love endures forever. He rescued them from Egypt, his love endures forever, and so on. So it's a call and response with the congregation. Or sometimes it's more like we are a choir who together, with the, uh, with the psalmist, um, sings the song. All together, us, we. Uh, other times we're the audience, but very consciously the audience being shared with, talked to. The Psalms actually sit in the Bible as well. You can even, if you have a paper Bible or on the menu on your phone, you'll notice it sits with other books that are called um, the wisdom books, the wisdom literature, or the writings. So Job sits just before Psalms. But after it, you'll see Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. There's a collection.
collection of books, often called the writings or the uh, wisdom literature. And that's one way to think about Psalms. It's a, there's wisdom in the book. The book begins actually kind of in that tone of a wise word, a proverb. The very first book, the very first um, psalm in the book, Psalm 1, it's like an introduction. And it does read a little the way the Proverbs read. Uh, Here is the wise life, the good life. Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seed of mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on that law day and night like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit and so on. Be wise in living the way of wisdom and godliness and delighting in the law, not the fool, the mocker, the stopper, whose way is chaff. Other psalms similarly are very similar to Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There is a leading psalm, I suppose that's the one that gets closest to Song of Songs, um, Psalm 45. But um, for example, Psalm 49 um, could come straight out of Ecclesiastes as it speaks about even the rich and the powerful die just like the beasts of the field. It's a bit of an emo sort of, do you still say emo these days, the kids these days? Goth. Uh, you depressed, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's that, whatever you call that, it's that. Um, uh, Psalm 90 similarly speaks about how our life, whole lifetime passes so quickly. We're just like flowers in a field that wither and fall. Psalm 8, Psalm 14, Psalm 37. There's a lot of wise sayings, proverbial songs in, in this book. It's, it's a wisdom book. Psalms 6 of Proverbs, 6 of Job. Ecclesiastes at a special point in the Bible, really. It's the, um, it's the songbook that goes along with the rule of David and Solomon. This high point in the Old Testament. I think you've got there today in seminars. But as the kingdom of God appears through God's salvation in the Old Testament, promise to Abraham, Exodus from Egypt, giving of the law, time of the judges, and then David in Jerusalem, king over God's people, with God's covenant with him, blessing and peace to all of Israel. And then his son, Solomon, the wise king, wealthy and wise, and builds the temple and the nations come to him. This high point in the Old Testament kingdom um, uh, revelation. The kingdoms come in the land under God's blessing and his rule through his Messiah, David and Solomon. And that's the time when the kingdom comes and you enjoy the blessing of God's generous covenant rule and, and the king that God has chosen, who is called his son, his prince, rules wisely. That's the time, then, for worship and for wisdom. This is the time for worship and wisdom. It's time to praise the light of God and all his goodness, his salvation, what he's done for you, his character, his name, his nature, and to declare that amongst his people and to the watching world. Worship and wisdom. To then say, so how do I now live as God's person, enjoying this world, uh, like Adam and Eve, naming the plants and the animals, and, and leave the world cultivated, leave it to flourish, and, and write songs about it, and science about it. Wisdom and worship are like part of the high points of this um, Old Testament appearance of the kingdom of God. Because, you see, the Psalms aren't just a bunch of spiritual songs. Um, sort of sample prayers or something. And they're not just some proverbs 
in wise sayings, sung in wisdom. They sit as part of the story of the Bible, God say. They sit as part of that story of creation, fall, promise, uh, exodus, uh, kingdom coming uh, in, in its imperfect Old Testament uh, pattern in the rule of David and Solomon. They sit within the story, the pattern of the kingdom of God, salvation history. As we'll see a little later, actually some of the, especially in Book 4 and Book 5 of the Psalms, uh, there's a lot of history. Um, retelling, sung history that tells the tale, epic poems that tell the tale of God's history up to the point of the Psalms. I suppose if we had a lot of chat about musicals last year, we both done the breakfast session, the breakfast Bible study on Tuesday morning or, or the sermons and then afterwards we just sit around and talk far too long and we should be studying instead of hanging out, which is nice. And we start with a mutual love of um, musicals. But you could say Psalms is like 1 Samuel, the musical. <laughs> um, two Chronicles, the musical. Some, you know, it's, it's, it's a musical accompaniment to the history we read. 1 to Samuel, 1 to Kings, 1 to Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. It's seeing us through the history that is told in the other places. And on the other hand, the history gives us context for understanding the musical. Getting more sense of why this song. Why is it so important? I said Psalm 1 was like an introduction psalm. Well, I think Psalm 2 is as well. Have a look at Psalm 2. This is read for us um, by Rachel. And it's a, um, I think these two psalms begin with the whole of Psalms as well. And in Psalm 2, after having heard about the wisdom of the one who delights in the law of the Lord, here we now have the nations raging against God's king, the anointed one, a word that could also be translated Messiah, or Christ, he's Christ, he's king, he's Messiah. And then God's saying, I've established my Messiah in Zion, in Jerusalem. He will be the one through whom I will rule the world. It tells us, we read the book in the light of wisdom and the light of the kingdom of God through God's chosen king, David. Psalms have five books in it, and several of them end. Um, the books end, like book two ends with Psalm 72, the handing of the baton from David to Solomon. Book three ends in uh, Psalm 89, asking, has God forgotten about the kingdom of David? Is there any future to the promise of David? So all through the Psalms, this history, this context is important. With that all in mind, then, let's jump into the book of Psalms with three headings we'll touch on in turn. And then we'll get a big overview, three big themes in the book of Psalms. First, the suffering and triumphant king. Second, the suffering and waiting people. And thirdly, the future hope of the kingdom of God. Three big themes across the book of Psalms. The suffering and triumphant king, the suffering and waiting people, and the future hope. against them. 
Turn to the next psalm. We see it again, verse 1. O Lord, how many of my foes, how many rise up against me? Many are saying, God will not deliver him. Or verse, chapter 5, verse 1, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King, my God, for to you I pray. Psalm 6, verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me from my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Chapter 7, verse, uh, Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Lord, I tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Famous Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Especially this first book of the Psalms, we get a lot of this, the suffering king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, all, all different ways of translating that same idea, the anointed king of God, the Messiah, the Christ. We see it later too. It's a bit of a jumble, the book of Psalms. You'll get Psalm 69, a very famous Psalm. The apostles quote often. Again, a suffering king. Psalm 109, a betrayed, faithful servant of God. Psalm 118, and it comes up all the way through, but especially book one, the suffering king. In the New Testament, when Jesus began talking to his disciples and explaining to them, I am the Messiah, the Son of God, but here's what I need to do. I need to go to Jerusalem, and I'll be betrayed, and I'll be tried, and I'll be beaten, and I'll be crucified. This must happen. God's decree, this must happen, he explained. And after his resurrection in Luke's gospel, we're told about how he met with his disciples and, and explained to them everything that was sent out in the Bible, it says. Everything in the law of Moses, in the writings, interesting book like the Psalms, and in the prophets. And here's what they had said, Jesus said, that the law of Moses, his writings, the prophets, they said that the Christ must suffer and rise from the dead. Psalms are a big part of how we learn that the Christ must suffer. That these songs build a pattern for us. That David and his experience becomes a pattern. What the theologians call a type, a pattern of the, the, the final anti-type, the theologians say, the, the reality, that this is a, a shadow of the reality of Jesus himself and his suffering. And so the apostles would often quote it. David's troubles and show how they were then repeated in the experience of Jesus. And so they saw a pattern as a kind of prophecy. Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. David suffered for he had to give glory to him. So Christ suffers, crucified, died, and then he's glory. Because this first point is not just the suffering king, but it's the suffering and victorious king. Back to Psalm 2. One enthroned in heaven, verse 4, laughs. The Lord stops them. And then he rebukes the nations in anger and terrifies the nations in his wrath, saying, I have sought and sought my king on Zion, my holy hill in Jerusalem, that is. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord now. This is the Messiah speaking, presumably David. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Here, son doesn't mean God the 
son, the second, third, and the trinity, doesn't it? This is the king of life, David and Solomon speaking. This is instead a, a way of talking about a king. It's like God's prince, Salvation Kingdom. If the king, um, uh, if there's a succession from father to son in the kingdom, then the son, the firstborn son of the king, is the prince who will become the king. It's that kind of idea. So it's like uh, the David and his sons are considered to be um, God's heir. God's, the one through whom God's rule will be expressed, God's prince. And in that sense, the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God, in this appointed, adopted uh, sense. Suffering, but then ultimately salvation, victory, glory, through hardship. And through the king suffering and reaching glory, the people of the king also benefit. And so there's a lot of the Psalms that talk about David, oh, I am struggling, I am suffering, I am grieving, I have gone down to the pit, help me, God. A lot of those Psalms, like say Psalm 69, ends with um, the congregation rejoicing. Because you see, if our king has been rescued and glorified, then all of those who trust in him or are his citizens in his kingdom, we also rescue. That's true for a political ruler. How much more for those who trust in Christ? He died for our sins and rises for our justification. If we're believers in Christ, if we are in Christ, we benefit from his suffering for us and his glory for us as well. Book two in the Psalms focuses on this glorious rule of David and Solomon. Again, it's all a bit messy, so it's not completely that neat, but there is a, a vibe of suffering king in book one. And there is a vibe of the kingdom of David and Solomon, the glory of Zion, that is the kind of um, the spirit that's a little bit like Tasmania is the Apple Isle, you know, or Victoria is what they call it, a festival state or whatever. Or New South Wales is the we think we're better than the rest of Australia, so <laughs> that kind of thing. Western Australia is the totally isolated from everybody else state. For uh, Zion is like the um, that catchy, the spiritual way of describing Jerusalem. Pictures of spiritual mountains, of the world mountains, the biblical Olympus, the world mountains, the centre of God's forces. Yeah, fine. To give you an example of the flavour of this glorious rule, consider the sons of the sons of Korah, this kind of um, Zion band. Um, Psalm 44 to 49 is a collection of the sons of Korah's songs, and they celebrate the glory of the rule of God's king, God's covenant king, his anointed son, in God's place, Jerusalem, where his temple is, Mount Zion. So Psalm 44 to 49, we get these sons of Korah songs. I'm just picking them out a little quickly. Psalm 45 is a wedding psalm, and it goes over the top in its description of a human king. It's one of those places where the poetry, um, over-the-top poetry, becomes uh, a pointer, a prophecy to a reality that comes in Jesus. It's an interesting thing, right? Because here's how a human king is described in verse 6. Your throne, this is talking to the human king, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God, your God, that is the Lord, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Wow! That's so glorious in the minds of these kings that they uh, that are 
made a call, outrageously called in a, a you could say a lowercase g sense. It's, it's really over the top language at that point, isn't it? Um, Psalm 46 celebrates the security of being God's people in God's kingdom. Very famous psalm, it's turned into very famous hymns. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, Psalm 46. Therefore we will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, so its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. And there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Nations are in uproar, verse 6. Kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob. Again, Zion, the, the security of being in God's place is again celebrated in Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. Or verse 9 of that same psalm, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love, like your name, O God. Your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk around Zion. We're invited now. Come on, come with me, the psalmist says. Walk around Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. He 